chose to take a journey down a long and dangerous trail. Chose to serve your country and we know you served us well. But now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe home. Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms. We're America, your family, the land of liberty. We're thankful for your sacrifice, your fight to keep us free. We are America, and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a quilt of many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're America, your country, and America wants you. It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition. With Gary Ray, along with his co-host Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray with his co-host Linda Crater and other prestigious co-hosts. Oh, good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is October 8th, 2013. Time is flying, isn't it, Linda? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater, President and CEO for VeteranCaregiver.com. And um, uh, we have a very exciting show for you today. It's reducing risk and promoting healing after suicide death. But before we get to our guests, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to provide everyone with a live veteran update. Today's update is brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and Brave Marketing Concepts. Be sure to check out and click on their logo at the sponsor page and see how they're supporting the American Heroes Network. Good morning, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well, Gary. How are you? Good. Very good. Very good. So it's been 39 days. Yeah. Are, you, are, you, are, your feet cuss, are your feet cussing at you yet? <laughs> uh, yesterday was the first day that I didn't wear any protection on my feet, like moleskin or blister pads, since uh-huh. probably the first week of September. Wow. So they're starting to heal a little bit. Um, wow. Tom and I, <clears throat> we made it to Council Bluffs. Um, so we'll cross into Nebraska officially today. Um, last time that we spoke, we were by uh, Stewart, Iowa, I do believe. Mm-hmm. And we made it um, two more days and took a day off. And then that Friday, um, Nebraska and Iowa had some pretty uh, nasty storms. Um, and so we couldn't walk on Friday either. So uh, walk Saturday, walk Sunday, walk yesterday. And we're right about to cross Missouri River and get into Nebraska. Wow. That day you took off, was that something like a shutdown? <laughs> um, yeah, something like that. Uh, we shut it down just to rest our feet, not because we couldn't agree on anything. <laughs> that's, that's great. Any incidents on the way so far? Um, no, nothing like too crazy. We've had... We've had pretty decent weather, um, so since it was dry initially, we were walking on a lot of country roads, and um, a lot of roads in Iowa are gravel. When you're out in the country, they're not even paved, 
so we're just getting dusted by semis and tractors all day. Um, one cool thing, though, is that last night, <clears throat> excuse me, last night we spent the night uh, at the home of Tom's former roommate for his whole time in the Army. Wow. And we're sitting there talking, and uh, I realized that he and I went to basic training together. Oh, we did? So, no, we're just sitting there talking. I was kind of looking at the pictures he had, and I was like, we're in basic together, man. So <laughs> just kind of like a small world. All right. Oh, just a reminder for our first-time listeners, Veteran Trek is about two veterans, Anthony and Tom, that are actually walking a small distance of 2,700 miles from Milwaukee to L.A. for PTSD and su- veteran suicide awareness. Okay. Now, as far as uh, how many total miles have you put on so far? Uh, I think it's got to be somewhere around 550 right now. Um, and of the 39 days since we've left, we've walked 30 of them. I'd say we're doing pretty good on miles. I think we average, last time I checked it out, we average right around 18 miles a day That's uh, for the days that we walked. Um, again, the most that we've walked in a day was about 28 to 30. Um, but we've kind of learned, you know, that's great if you have to do it, but it's probably not in our best interest to try to do that every day. <laughs> it just kind of destroys your feet. <laughs> All right. Are you thinking about taking the word walk out of your vocabulary? Um, no, not yet. I'm thinking Good. about uh, in- including the word sleep more, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Linda, do you have any questions? No, I, I just am very admiring of the tenacity and, and you, your resiliency in getting up each day and taking on this walk. I really yeah. admire that. That's right. Well, thank you. Now, what about groups on, uh, along your supporters cheering you on? You run across groups of them and just in the uh, last a, week? A little bit. I think we're going to start running into more. Um, actually, today it seems like it'll be a fairly busy day with media um, because they know that we're coming into Nebraska um, and coming into Omaha, there's been, I think, three different news stations that have contacted us to do interviews. So I think we're going to pick back up on getting recognized and having people want to come out and walk with us. But Tom's former roommate, he's going to come walk with us today. All right. Well, Anthony, we wish everybody good luck. And uh, again, I want everybody to donate. If they're going to donate, they can do it right on their cell phone. Just go to your cell phone. Put in the word donate to 80464, and 100% of that donation goes right to the dryhooch.org. I want to thank you, uh, Anthony. You have a great day. Tell Tom thank hi. You. And uh, good luck. Okay. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Well, thank, thank you. We have, quite a show for, we have quite a show for you today, like I mentioned before. Linda, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? I, w- I would be most pleased to do so. We are called the American Heroes Network, and we have two people on today who I put in the Quiet Heroes Army because our guests are remarkable today for the work that they do. The first guest is Ken Norton of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, of the state of New Hampshire, and he's with us today to discuss the CONNECT program, which is a comprehensive safety net for communities to address both the risk factors and the resiliency or the protective factors in suicide prevention. And they have collaborated very heavily with the New Hampshire National Guard. And this program has been identified as a model program from congressional testimony. 
Accompanying Ken on the call today is Sergeant First Class Dale Garrow, who is the Suicide Prevention Program Manager for the CONNECT program. And the military has specific risk and resiliency factors. And the New Hampshire National Guard is at the forefront of providing a program that we hope the information shared here today will provide key information and knowledge to our audience in the military community and beyond. Welcome to the American Heroes Network, both Ken and Dale. Yes, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. Yes, same here. And Sergeant Garrow is the Suicide Prevention Manager for the New Hampshire National Guard. Oh, did I mess that up? I apologize. Thank you for correcting it. Yeah. Perfect. Why don't we start and I... Either one of you can, perhaps, tell us a little bit about your program. Well, our program is a, um, it's a national program that is a, a designated best practice program in suicide prevention and intervention, but also in postvention. And postvention's uh, kind of a, a new term for a lot of people, but postvention is about what happens after a suicide death. And uh, sometimes, and, and that's how it's used in the civilian world, um, the military world sometimes refers to postvention both for uh, situations in responding to suicide attempts as well as deaths. Um, but right. um, for our purpose for this show, we're, we're going to be focusing on um, suicide deaths. And we take a community-based approach, which is why... Um, we had this partnership with the National Guard because our Guard and Reserve members are uh, living in our communities. And, uh, and most of the, when we started working with them, most of the training that they were getting from the big army was really designed for people that were on military bases and had access to, um, you know, uh, mental health resources within that, um, within that military setting. So we wanted to make sure that our Guard and Reserves were aware of how to access community resources. Excellent. I I think it's especially important that we talk about National Guard and Reserve because in the statistics, there is an inordinately high percentage that come from the Guard and Reserve. Wow. You know, I mentioned mentioned post-vention to uh, another doctor I know down here in Florida, and he said, no, I had it wrong. It's post-intervention. <laughs> so it is a new term. It is it, a new term. It is. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think is important to recognize from a public health perspective is that um, suicide prevention is really a, a three-legged stool. It's, it's about um, recognizing who's at risk and, and understanding the warning signs and the risk factors. And it's about intervening once those folks have been recognized as being at risk. But it's, it's also about knowing how to respond and being prepared to respond in the event that there's a suicide death. And we know that one of the highest risk factors for suicide is having known somebody who dies by suicide. So when we know somebody that dies by suicide, statistically, we become um, at increased risk. And that's why postvention is really prevention. Wow. Well said. Perhaps you can discuss, maybe you want to start out with recognizing the high risk. You just talked about the three prongs. Would you like to take them in order? Sure. Okay, so the first one was recognizing those at higher risk. 
Right. Um, this is uh, Sergeant Garrell. The uh, Army program that we run, the three-legged stool he's mentioning, it's the uh, suicide prevention program our commanders are required to be aware of. We teach them prevention is the first phase. We also have to teach them intervention. We, and then the last phase is what we use uh, the Connect program for to teach our commanders post-pension. So they're, they're, by the time they get done with post-pension, they are fully aware of how to run an adequate um, suicide prevention program for their units. And, and uh, this is Ken. Maybe one of the differences between prevention and intervention is po and postvention is that with training around um, prevention and intervention, we want to cast as wide a net as possible. So we want everybody trained um, uh, from, you know, from, uh, you know, the entry level troops and, and right up to the leadership. And um, and all ancillary supports as well, family supports and um, chaplains and, you know, everybody. Everybody should be having a piece of suicide prevention training so that they can recognize who's at risk. Because sometimes um, it's different people have different pieces of information about uh, risk factors or warning signs, and it's about putting that all together. With postvention, it's a little bit different where really – you're, you're only looking to train those folks that are going to be very directly involved in that response. So whether it's MPs, whether it's casualty assistance officers, casualty notification officers, chaplains, um, public affairs, leadership, um, command structure, that's who uh, the post-mention training is, is designed to uh, focus on. Right. Now, everybody can hold that thought. We're just going to take a real short break. Our Veteran Trek update this week was brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and Brave Marketing Concepts. Be sure to go to our sponsor page and click on the sponsor's logo to find out more information. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater, and our guest, Ken and Dale. And uh, you're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you ready for another meeting? Do you leave wondering if you've made any progress? Or was it just another organizational reorganization? Are you looking for a way to change that and make progress? Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel every week for educational leadership. What else is possible? With hosts Mary Maduna and Margaret Ruff. If you're ready to energize your leadership and create new possibilities, join us for a chance to look through a different lens and gain a new perspective every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. And Linda, you had a question? Well, I think that we have so much to talk about in this particular broadcast that I think we could talk for four days. <laughs> I think it's important that we talk about the messaging and the words used so that everyone is very clear on what we are talking about um, as we are going through this broadcast. So I will pose this question to, I guess, Ken. What is safe messaging and terminology and how do you promote it? Um, well, it's a really important part of suicide prevention, and it's one of the things that, you know, one of the evidence-based practices that we know that works, but it is an area where there needs to be much more research. And the, the sort of basic part to it is that one of the things that we know is that, um, is that contagion, which is that terminology for um, when one suicide can result in increased risk and possibly other suicides does occur. And we know that it occurs in young people. We've seen it occur in, you know, in, in different places in the military as well. Mm-hmm. And we also, particularly what we know about safe messaging is how the media reports on suicide can, um, can be very problematic and that that can either increase risk for further suicides or, um, or decrease risk. And what we don't know, which is a little more controversial and or complicated, is, you know, what about some of the messaging that we use, um, for instance, in, in memorial services or how the, the person is remembered? A few of the key pieces about safe messaging is that we want to be very careful about um, not going into graphic detail about the death and not saying things that might normalize suicide or, or in some way glamorize suicide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a couple of other little pieces about language, real common uh, language about suicide, and I have no idea where it came from, but we talk about, um, well, it was a failed suicide attempt, as if we want the person to die by suicide or it was a successful suicide attempt. So we, we don't use that terminology. Um, and, you know, we say it was a lethal suicide attempt or, you know, or, or something like that. Another uh, phrase that's a little bit controversial is the term committed suicide. Many family members and, and people that have lost a loved one to suicide don't like that term because it has a lot of negative connotations, committed adultery, committed a crime, um, committed to a, uh, a psychiatric facility, but it, it also sort of um, it increases that myth around suicide that we think that people you, you can't really stop somebody who's going to take their life. And the reality is, we know from research that even people who have made highly lethal attempts report in the moments before the attempt that they were really quite ambivalent about dying. They you know they want the pain they're in to end but it's not like they really want to die. So, um, so those are some of the, you know, some of the challenges around 
um, reporting, I mean, about safe messaging. And certainly we could probably do a whole show on that media piece. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of dimensions related to it when we're, when we're looking at it. Those are all wonderful points. How have you been able to address or, or train or discuss all of these kinds of messaging in this world of social media and messaging going so fast without a lot of control? Well, um, in the Connect training that we do, we, um, we provide very specific training around safe messaging. We, we also have a, you know, a whole different component that we do that is, that is uh, a separate training just around safe messaging. So we might do that um, for people that are dealing with the media frequently or journalists or public affairs officers, public information officers. There has been a lot of work done in, in recent years um, with the Department of Defense. We provided some trainings at the annual suicide prevention conference around safe messaging. But, you know, part of what we need to do is make sure that leadership and people that are interacting with the media are adhering to um, recommendations around safe messaging. And there are safe messaging recommendations. Um, there's a website, www.reportingonsuicide.org. And these are national recommendations that have come from international research showing the effectiveness of them for, um, for reporters on journalists. Also, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, uh, www.sprc.org, um, has some safe messaging guidelines for lay people in terms of how to talk about suicide in a way that's safe. We also do a lot of work with... Um, with people who have lost a loved one to suicide, we have a speakers bureau um, called Survivor Voices, and we train those folks in safe messaging and how to talk publicly about their loss. Mm. Fantastic. And, and um, on the Connect program, the postvention, they usually, NAMI usually provides us with a survivor to speak to our commanders on what they went through when they lost their loved one. It gives them real honest feedback on what they could be looking for should somebody in their unit have a suicide. Well, after a suicide death, how do these, what do these family members experience? I mean, it's about time that we start looking, looking back and saying, hey, we have to protect this family. The family's getting, uh, you know, especially after a suicide, that's, that's something tough to handle. One of the protective factors I like that NAMI's postvention training teaches, it's to not focus on the why they suicided, but the what caused them to suicide. We can try to prevent the, the what's. What mm-hmm. led to this person doing the suicide? The why questions, nine times out of ten, makes the families or the soldiers go into defensive mode and start playing the blame game. Asking what questions gets to the surf beyond the surface of the problem, get down to the root cause analysis. What led to this person? So we can try to save someone else in the future. That's what I like about post-venture. I think Gary, that's you know really a key question because we we know and we understand how to deal with um, with somebody who was killed in action and um, who gives the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of their country. Uh, 
and you know, and the military trains and prepares folks for dealing with KIA deaths. But now with suicide deaths exceeding the number of folks killed in action, there's little preparation for how to respond to these families. And it's not just the families, it's, it's a much broader, you know, uh, it's the unit commander who feels responsible, it's the combat buddy, um, it's the chaplain who, you know, maybe had been interacting with them. I mean, the ripples, it's like the proverbial pebble in the pond mm-hmm. where the suicide death of that individual sends out waves right across um, ultimately the community and, you know, and to Linda's point about social media to our society. And that can, that can happen very quickly. And uh, the other reality is sadly that, you know, that, that the experience of family members is really variable. They can be treated um, very poorly um, because people are insensitive or they can be ignored. I mean, we hear, you know, one family said, well, you know, when, when my loved one died by suicide, the casserole dishes didn't come um, because people don't know what to say or they're uncomfortable um, with what to say. Um, on a very personal level, what people uh, who lose a loved one to suicide experience is, uh, is a tremendous intensity that's really unique from other, um, from other losses in terms of grief. And it, it is uh, often accompanied by shame, um, by guilt, by feelings of rejection, by thinking about that last moment or interaction, by, you know, feeling like uh, you missed something or you should have done more, sometimes actual blame with people blaming, you know, family members. Um, and so it's, it's very intense. It's, it's very personal. And as Sergeant Garrow said, you know, many of the families just sort of consumed by that question of why, um, which you know, I think most often we will never really understand the why. The why goes with that person to their grave. Um, and we're trying to apply why from a rational, you know, thinking standpoint when the reality is that that why um, may have been somebody who wasn't in their right state of mind at the point that they took their life. Mm. You have just described uh, what I would consider a traumatic experience. And the families that I've dealt with, that is exactly how they discuss it. Whether it was an attempt that uh, was not completed, or as you say, a lethal attempt. But there's an awful lot of that guilt. And I think grief is not discussed much in our society. And perhaps after our break, we can talk about how the trauma aspects um, can be mitigated a little bit or prepared for. As you say, there's very little preparation for a death by suicide for the family or those remaining. Yes, and, and you know, trauma is absolutely, I mean, some of the research is showing that, that families do experience symptoms of, um, of post-traumatic stress as a result of that traumatic death. And again, not just families, but also some research showing clinicians who may, therapists who may have been working with that person um, also uh, have experienced symptoms of trauma related to that death. Mm, absolutely. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. I just want to remind everybody, again, you can see our site constantly changing. Uh, take a look at it. Uh, we do have uh, what they call a member's app up there. It's a spin to win, and uh, we just want you to try it out. There's just a demo up there. It doesn't cost anything. Try it out. 
tell us how you how you like something like that. Uh, we do have you can blog us right on the website. Be sure to use that because uh, it's becoming very popular. And uh, again, check it out. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, it's a demo right now. It's a spin to win. And it's going to get you some good benefits behind it and some good prizes. Again, my name is Gary Ray along with Linda and our guest, Ken and Dale. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. And we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. All right, welcome back. I guess we're going to talk about uh, the program itself and how it's actually helping the uh, National Guard and the Reserve, correct? Yes, let's talk specifically about how this program is helping the New Hampshire National Guard. Ken Ordale? So, uh, you know, we had this national best practice program that was community based. And when the, the Guard in 2006 or 2007 sort of got the, um, got the requirement to stand up a suicide prevention program, we began working with them and bringing in other, uh, other community groups. And 
we've done a lot of work with um, with different cultural groups. We've worked with uh, in four different countries. We've worked with 25 tribal nations, and obviously the military culture and learning that was very important. And so over the course of the year that we were working on this committee, I took a lot of notes, particularly about acronyms. Um, military, as we know, has tons of acronyms. <laughs> and so uh, at the point that we got ready to do our first training, I was able to give you know our trainers a sheet with military acronyms, and then I gave the National Guard folks a sheet with community acronyms. Mm. Um, our guard had done a lot of work already developing a military culture training, which they started with a few providers, but then they went on to train faith leaders in the community, um, educators, teachers, uh, and a lot of different social service groups to make us more familiar about um, military culture and the needs of military families. So we, we brought all that together and incorporated that into a you know, into a special model that of our Connect training that we have that's specific for the military and uh, and and a training around prevention and intervention, which I mentioned, you know, talks a lot about community resources and how to uh, connect folks with civilian resources, and then a a, a military postvention training that talks about the special needs of the military around uh, responding to a suicide death. What would you describe as some of the differences in the military culture when it comes to postvention? Well, with New Hampshire, we have to rely on our community resources. As you know, New Hampshire doesn't have a full-time treatment facility like Mm -hmm. most of the other states do. So we uh, go with what General Waddell likes to refer to as the Fort New Hampshire concept. Pretty much for every military and community resource is available. And one of our jobs on this health promotion council that we stood up in late 2008, early 2009 was to work on collaborating these resources to make them all available for our military and our community people in New Hampshire. So, I, you know, I, I think that um, part of it is there's that military tradition and and that whole, I mean, there's a lot of stigma around um, mental illness and or psychological injuries and asking for help and uh, and obviously well-founded beliefs that, you know, that if you disclose that you're having some difficulties that, you know, that may impact on your career. And certainly that, um, you know, that can, uh, can be an important factor both around prevention and intervention, but also around postvention. In that culture, some of those protective factors and the strengths are the, you know, the very close knit um, belonging and, and community that 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 the military has that, you know, is maybe um, disintegrated a little bit on the civilian side, but is still very key on the military side. And, you know, in working that community can be a real important part of responding to a suicide death. And again, as I mentioned that, you know, understanding that contrast between, you know, how the military responds to a kill in action and, and having conversations about um, how they're going to be prepared to deal with a suicide death if that tragedy befalls them. You know, those protective factors that you talk about, the strength and the unity of the community, is that a plus and a minus? 
as you're dealing with a suicide death? Yes, and that's, you know, that's a really key point, Linda. I mean, I, I think that, that sometimes what happens in terms of leading up to the death, I mean, it, you know, if we look at the, at, the, um, at the warrior ethos, you know, I will put the mission first. Um, you know, if a person is feeling like they're struggling and they're holding back their unit or they're holding back their, you know, their mission, um, and they, they don't belong maybe, or that, you know, whatever that can become a risk factor. Um, and so that, you know, you're, you're very right. That sort of connectedness and that belonging, uh, can work in two ways. And again, this is, you know, it's important to note that this is a perception issue that it's in the mind of that person. Other people may, you know, may not see that or, or feel that that's what's going on, but that person perceives that, you know, um, they're the weak link, or maybe they're told they're the weak link. Well, you're bringing back up the issue of trauma, because being accused of those things, or if you're the one who witnessed the suicide or, or found the body, those are trauma aspects. And how do you, how do you prepare people for such a difficult uh, event? Well, I, again, the, um, one of the things that I do want to clarify in terms of the terminology is that, you know, post-tension implies that it happens after the fact. And, um, and that's correct, except um, our training happens ahead of, you know, we hope ahead of the suicide death. Certainly we do go in sometimes in a crisis mode and help after there has been a death. Mm-hmm. But the idea is to help prepare people. And to make them more sensitive to some of those aspects of trauma, like you mentioned. And I, I will apologize in advance for this next piece that I'm going to say because it is very graphic. But I think it's very important to put it out there, which is that one of the things that is never really talked about or identified is that um, a, a very high percentage of suicide deaths occur in the home or primary residence. Mm-hmm. And those family members or um you know, next of kin are left with the aftermath and cleaning up that aftermath. So, you know, there's there's no very little understanding of that or sensitivity to that. Um, the impact of the trauma, the fact that in most situations that that death investigation when the body is found is going to be viewed as a crime scene and the family is going to be asked to leave the room or maybe even leave the home and there will be, you know, military police or law enforcement there. Um, in, in, until they can make a determination that it was a suicide death. And so all of those things can be highly traumatic for the family. And if people are prepared and maybe um, some of those first responders are, are able to pull the family aside and talk with the family about what's going to happen and that this is why it's happening um, and, and get them connected with resources, uh, that can be really important. That's huge. That's huge. And that is what I hear from families is that people at that point don't know what to say to them. Um, they, you're right. The casseroles don't often come or they feel it could be, quote, contagious. It does trigger families to talk to other families. Um, how do you, what would you say to families who are in a close-knit community and unit. And, and what kinds of things can you tell them that would help 
the family who has lost the loved one? Right off the, right off the bat, um, we teach military when we're talking to them in, in a group. So it affected that soldier. Person, it wasn't your fault. So that they don't think it was something they did that caused that person to have died. Good. You got to get that right out at the beginning. So that, because uh, on the personal side, that's what happened to my family. My uh, nephew died tragically on a vehicle accident, and my little his older sister felt it was all her fault. She wasn't there that day. So she almost killed herself because of something that happened to her brother. Mm. So that's the contagion you got to worry about. Guilt is a terrible tool that's mm-hmm. out there that you've got to be able to stop immediately. And I think that that's a key one. I think also key is that um, you're not alone. That, you know, I mean, one of the things families struggle with is should we tell, I mean, and fortunately, I think for the most part, we're past this, but 10 years ago, people would keep it a secret. And Mm -hmm. a secret meaning we don't talk about it, we don't say the S word, even though everybody knows how the person died. Um, there's no, there's no mention of it, which really puts them in a, in an even more isolated, um, situation when the family acknowledges that it's a suicide death. then oftentimes their coworkers, their, you know, um, their friends, their loved ones say, I need to tell you about my brother, or I need to tell you about my best friend in high school or whatever. And so there is then some, uh, some supports. The other key thing in terms of responding to a family is to, or to somebody that's lost a loved one to suicide is to be non-judgmental mm-hmm. and to just listen. Um, recognize that they're probably just numb. And, you know, instead of saying, you know, let me know what I can do to help, say, I'm going to come by and I'm going to take your laundry and I'm going to take it to the laundromat or I'm going to take your, you know, your kids between one and four this afternoon and I'm going to take them whatever. So be specific in, how, in things that you can offer to, to help them with. All right. Well, everybody hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. Our last break, as a matter of fact, I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host Linda and our guest, Ken and Dale. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live and on demand. 
No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. Uh, and Linda, I think we're on break. We're talking about uh, possible examples. Well, I think that one of the big pluses of this model program is that they have a protocol they follow. So, Ken and Dale, can you please go through an example of a suicide death and what the protocol is in New Hampshire that you all follow to try and mitigate all of these many, many issues we've discussed so far? Well, the, um, the protocol is really that there is a series of protocols um, that come out through the training. So, you know, the, the protocol, like another death, would be that the... Um, the casualty notification team goes out and again, they would have been trained in a suicide death and, you know, and that would be a little bit different in terms of now they're given a script, but you know, that script would be developed um, by the, um, by the G1 or whoever in, Mm -hmm. in terms of what to say. And then New Hampshire's protocol, again, based on our adjutant general is that um, a suicide death would also be assigned a casualty assistance officer and their family. And so that's then followed pretty quickly the notification by the, by the, um, by the casualty assistance officer. And then um, one of the things that we developed was a, a memorandum with the medical examiner's office. So um, for instance, and that came up about through a partnership with our Bureau of Behavioral Health and our um, Suicide Prevention Council, so that the um, the guard can be exchanging information in real time with the medical examiner's office. So we had, for instance, a suicide death um, or a suspected suicide death that was being reported in the news in a big way. The highway was closed down um, as a motor vehicle accident. And, um, and yet the police had already gone out to uh, investigate. It happened like at one in the morning. Um, and met with the person's roommate who was one of their uh, combat buddies. And, um, and from some of the questioning, the roommate started to think that, that it was a, a homicide. And um, so rumors started spreading. Mm. Uh, first thing, the, the TAG, the adjutant general, deployed the crisis response team. So we were all together in his office, and that was you know, the chaplain, the suicide prevention manager, the unit commander, a couple of other leadership. And, uh, and we were figuring out what facts do we have? What do we know? And at that point, we were able to call the medical examiner's office and say, you know, what, where are things at? What information do you have? And they said, we're 10 minutes away from having the autopsy completed. We'll call you in 10 minutes. So we prepared a script. 
um, that was going to be uh, used for the unit commander to notify uh, the other folks in their unit first, and he, you know, was going to do that, and then um, for the family folks to notify other families. Prepared the script. We got the confirmation from the um, from the medical examiner. The notifications went out. We set up sort of a drop-in for that evening for folks that wanted to come to come. Uh, for people that we had identified as being at very high risk, uh, the chaplain went out and um, and went out to their homes, or you know, or somebody else went with the unit commander, uh, went to their homes, and then we uh, we we set up a. a a, a forum the following night for family members to come in, you know, opening prayer by the adjutant general, a few words by the chaplain, uh, you know, message from us about, again, you know, no one is to blame, normalizing grief reactions, talking about self-care skills, chaplains working with the family around memorial services, in contact with the funeral director, all those different pieces. So that's sort of what it, um, what it looks like. It's a very complicated chain, but what you've described is extremely strong communication, two-way communication, so that the message cannot be lost or misconstrued. And that is a very strong way to do this. Are others following your example? Yes, I think that there have been a lot of improvements made and um, and, and people paying more attention to um to postvention, there's now a toolkit that's put out, a postvention toolkit um, that's put out. Uh, we had done a lot of briefings and training with the uh, Department of Defense and the Defense Center on Excellence, and so that toolkit is available for folks as well. Family members, is there follow-up with them beyond this immediate impact? Because oftentimes it's after the intensity of the moment has passed that it really becomes a heavy burden to bear. Is this a continuing protocol that stays in touch with the family members and the battle buddies and the unit? Yeah. um, Starting about three years ago, uh, each state received a uh, soldier outreach support person that takes care of the aftercare once, you know, after the See, the casualty assistance officer's mission has ended. It used to be that casualty assistance officer would be on call for any post-care um, questions or support. Mm-hmm. They now have a coordinator each state that takes care of that aftercare to make sure that follow-up is being done. They they call them uh, frequently to make sure everything that everything's okay. That they need any help. That's what they do. Um, uh, anything? No, I mean, it, I'm sorry. Is I was just going to ask: Is that proactive outreach, or does the family have to reach out? I mean, how does that work? It's it's both. It's a two way street. Either they can come to call her or him, or they call the family. Okay. I, I know our state our uh, our SOS coordinator is proactive, and she calls to make sure that family's good to go. And for any military family, there is the Tragedy Assistance Program, TAPS, right. which is mm-hmm. uh, www.taps.org. Um, and they have a coordinator, Kim Muwako, who, um, who lost her husband, who was a Marine, to suicide. And she's done a fabulous job with 
um, with TAPS um, and their ability to respond to families um, who have lost a loved one, military families who have lost a loved one to suicide. You're absolutely right. TAPS is a fantastic program. And again, that's TAPS, T-A-P-S dot org. Next of kin. Well, next of kin, we have a packet that um, that we send out again in a, a collaboration in our, as our state with our medical examiner's office, mm-hmm. and that packet comes out from the medical examiner a couple of weeks after um, after the suicide and gives information, all kinds of information, how to talk to children about suicide, about grief, about finances, about support groups, um, annual events a lot of different information for folks. And, and that, um, that packet is also available, can be downloaded off our website, which is uh, theconnectprogram.org. Um, and if you go to the survivor section, you can find that there. But that's another great resource that's available to that, um, to that next of kin. And one other piece I should mention about sort of the, um, that postvention uh, deployment is we also are very careful to, to be checking in on a daily basis with the leaders and the caregivers. Okay, you know, how are the people, how's the unit commander doing? How is the chaplain doing? Um, you know, it's important that you not forget the huge emotional toll that it takes on the individuals who are helping the family or helping um, the folks that are impacted by the suicide. Absolutely. That's a very, very important point. I'm glad you added that. And that goes for those in the first responders group as well. For sure. All right. Now, we only have about a minute or two left. I'd like to thank Ken and Dale for being with us today. Ken, what would you like to share with our listeners in closing? Well, just again, the you know, the sort of basic things that the the warning signs for suicide can in- include talking about suicide or talking about death even in a joking manner, um, withdrawal from family and friends, looking for ways to kill yourself, um, significant changes in mood, um, increased substance abuse, hopelessness, all those different pieces. And um, our veteran crisis line is available 24-7 to people, and that number is 1-800-273-8255. All right. Dale, would you like to have anything in closing? Just that there's a lot of people here in New Hampshire that are working together to provide all our veterans help and their families. All they, have, all they need to do is call that crisis number or, or call any of us. We'll get them that help. All right. Thank you. Linda? I'm always a huge fan of community-based approaches, and I love how many times you all have used the word collaboration and community in what you've discussed because it really does take an entire community to keep and support our military families and our veterans. So thank you so much for sharing this today. Yes, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Be sure to tune in next week for another live update on Veterans Check, a 2,700-mile walk for PTSD and veteran suicide awareness. Our live update was brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and Brave Market Against Concepts. For sponsorship information, contact us at sponsorinfo at AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. And remember, if you missed the live show, all of our shows are archived on the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. All the shows can be heard on any mobile device, and we're syndicated on iTunes. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda Crater, signing off. And thanks for listening to the American Heroes Network. 
powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, and have a terrific week. Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host Linda Crater and other prestigious co-hosts again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America and we truly do believe you're the backbone.